has gone before. History never forgets the name Enterprise. I'm beyond emotions. They've been frozen dead in me. Good night, my love. The brightest star in my sky. No, I forget. It won't come off. Really? Don't blink. It's a fake. I am War Master Jador the Dilgar. Deathwalker? So they called me. It's Sergeant Simpson, and I commanded the Flying Hellfish. We were all from Springfield. No surrender, no retreat. <laughs> a human being. Damn. I am a human being. You're a librarian, Mr. Wordsworth. You can deny me all you want, but you cannot destroy an idea. Words, Mr. Wordsworth. It is real. I created it. I'm a human being. I exist. And if I speak one thought aloud, that thought lives even after I'm shoveled into my grave. Welcome to part one of the Discerning Geeks Portals special discussion of favorite single episode TV stories. Now recording. Greetings, Discerning listeners, and welcome back to another episode of the Discerning Geeks Portal, the podcast that does occasionally talk about TV. That's right, this episode is the first of three upcoming episodes talking about our favorite single episode stories, favorite multi episode stories, and favorite TV seasons. Believe it or not, these topics were rolled randomly close together last year, and after more than a few delays, we're finally getting to one of them. I am one of your co-hosts, Todd. My life will be complete after discussing these three TV topics. That's an exaggeration, but sadly not by much. And joining me as always is a guy with a much more fulfilling life than I have. It's Preston. Preston, how's it going? It's going great. I've just returned from the beach. I want to give a quick shout out to the Hastings clan. Uh, Everybody from uh, Stephen, Sherry, Jacob Reed, uh, Molly, Zeb, Grace, uh, Chris, Ted, Naney, and of course, Mom and Dad. You were all wonderful. It was an excellent time. And now, let us all return to the couch, assume our tuber-like positions, and get ready to review some good media. It sounds good that you, you got a beach trip. It sounds like you had fun. You were describing a lot of good food uh, oh, yes. before we started. Oh, yes. Uh, my cousin Chris is a, a very accomplished chef. He's been on the Iron Chef television show, actually. So, oh, wow. a fitting reference. Yeah, when they did the American version, did they ever give the American chefs kind of cool names? Or is it pretty much just Chef Flay? Yeah, it's, it, it was just Chef Flay. Yeah. Um, I, I, know, I know a lot about the inner workings of that show. So what, what they did was for the secret ingredient, they send you three possible ingredients that the show could be. Like you don't know ahead of time, but they send you mm-hmm. like the list of the three possible ingredients. His were, if I remember correctly, octopus, field peas, I want to say, and sausage. Oh, okay. And it ended up being battle sausage. You know, that kind of makes sense because if they were to just – have it wide open to where it could literally be everything. I know that these chefs are good, but how can they come up with something that fast, that off the cuff? Surely they've got to have at least a little bit of foreknowledge and preparation. So yeah, that, that kind of makes sense. But that's cool that he was on there. Oh yeah, yeah. How long ago was that? I want to say at this point, maybe nine years ago. Mm. 
I think it was 2013. Yeah, I figured it would have to be because, like I said, I don't even know if that show is still on or or if it's if it is if it's changed since then. Or Preston's cousin Chris Hastings was in season 10, episode 11 of Iron Chef America, which aired on February 26, 2012. The final score against Bobby Flay was 53 to 52. Chris Hastings has his own Wikipedia page where you can learn more about his career, awards, and restaurants he and his wife have opened. As you may have noticed, uh, Dave and Andrew are still not with us. I think it came down to scheduling conflicts again. We kind of wanted to have at least three on this particular topic, but since it's taking forever, we thought we would go ahead and knock it out, uh, just me and Preston. If one or both of the other guys feel more strongly about this topic than I think they do and, and want to have their input, maybe we can fill that in on a future episode and kind of like revisit this. But I think Dave also shared his list with us, and I think he only had five TV episodes. Dave joins later in time to share his five TV episode picks. So we're going to go ahead and knock it out. I gave the guys some guidelines. Their their list could be anywhere from 10 to, to 20 shows. And so, like I said, Dave only came up with five. And then try to have between five to 10 of them ranked, and then the rest could be honorable mentions. So I ended up with a list that has uh, ranked top five and 15 honorable mentions. And Preston has a ranked top 10. So I thought what we would do is we would kind of sprinkle together my honorable mentions with his bottom five of his top 10. And then once we both get to the ranked top five, then we'll, then we'll take turns. I also gave some subcategories to think about. So we'll kind of use that to kind of organize the discussion a little bit. Also, like I said, there are three topics and two of them are single episode stories and the other is multi-episode stories. Uh, I love lists and ranking things and I love it when magazines and websites list and rank things, but I kind of hate it when they combine two parters into a single rank. That's just like a pet peeve of mine. If something is two episodes, it should get two slots. So that's why I intentionally created these two lists. And so this list is kind of meant to be for episodes that are more standalone. At the same time, I also gave the guys some guidelines that they could pick things that come from two parters, three parters, whatever. It's just that they either have to pick just one of them, or if they had to pick both of a two parter or all three of a three parter, they would get each get a, a separate rank. And now that it is just me and Preston doing this, it's entirely possible that we might break some rules and actually mention some shows that maybe aren't on our original list if we have happen to think of them off the cuff. So I think the best place to start is, well, maybe not the best place to start, but at least thematically, the most appropriate place to start is with the category of premieres. And this is for season premieres and series premieres. And so it makes sense to start there. But the reason I say it might not be the best place is I have to admit, I don't have anything in this category. <laughs> so, uh, Preston, is there any chance that you have anything in season premieres or seri series premieres that we can use to start off? So I'm going to take you back to 1995 in the third grade and the Scholastic Book Fair. Little leaflet is right there on your desk when you come in from recess and you're sitting there and you're like, man, look at all these cool covers. Oh, what is this? There's a new Goosebumps book. And then yeah. it came to pass that Goosebumps got a television show. And it started out with The Haunted Mask. And 
coincidentally, that's my number 10 favorite episode. R.L. Stein was not as inventive with his story. He's kind of like Stephen King in that sense. Like if you've read one R.L. Stein book, you've pretty much read them all. So kid gets bullied and, you know, gets told she's a scaredy cat everywhere. And the bullies even put like worms in her lunch at one point, Ooh. which is pretty hardcore because she, the, the actress did actually eat the worm in the scene. Gross. But then the Halloween comes around and she's like, you know what? I'm going to go find the scariest costume I can possibly find. And so she goes and she finds an empty industrial warehouse. And in there is a mask maker. And the mask maker has like all of these gruesome life, 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 like looking masks on the shelf. And she looks at them all. And she finds the ugliest, spookiest one, which is like a green goblin. And the guy, the, the owner won't sell it to her. And she begs and she pleads and he won't sell it to her. Because he says, you know, the, that mask comes with a cost. And so she just steals it, right? Mm-hmm. She puts it on. She scares the bullies. Everything's going well until in the middle of the night, she tries to take the mask off. And it has form to her skin. Oh, okay. Yeah, the haunted mask, man. One of R.L. or yeah, one of R.L. Stein's, I believe, one of his biggest selling books of the series. I, I don't know offhand. I, w- I want to say there there were others, but this was a, a prime time premiere for the Saturday morning TV show, and it was excellent. It kept you glued to the TV, and like. For kid horror, this is probably one of the best. And I don't think I realized that that was horror or thrillers for kids. Um, When you said Goosebumps, I I recognize what you're talking about because I remember seeing those maybe in school, but definitely in doctor's offices. (laughs) It seems like those are the type of thing that you would find in the waiting room of a doctor's office. Todd has now looked up what Goosebumps books look like. And now he's pretty sure he's thinking of something else when he says he's seen these types of books in doctor's offices. Todd is old and his memory sucks. But I don't think I've ever read one. Uh, and so I didn't even realize that there was a TV show. And so you said it was a cartoon, correct? Well, no, it was live action. Oh, OK. So but live action, but shown on a Saturday morning along with cartoons. Yes. Yes. Okay. So actually, now that you say that, I might have the vaguest memory. I don't think I've ever watched an episode about pricing commercials for it. When did it come out? Was it in the 80s or 90s or 90s? Okay. I want to say it started in either 93 or 95. Okay. I'm not sure which one, but I believe it's one of those two. But it's it's a really good show. There are some episodes that are not as good as others. Certainly. I mean, it's a Saturday morning kids show. That's like, you know, that is the ultimate mixed bag of Saturday morning kids shows. Yeah. I thought it was great as a kid. I think this episode still stands up and, you know, has some pretty good spooky moments in there. And the acting is pretty good. Okay. And so it sounds like even if it was kind of sort of made for kids, it's almost like Pixar stuff where it's, it's good for adults too. So it's kind of like all ages then, right? If if I could find a nice middle ground between Pixar and the best Simpsons episodes, that's kind of where Goosebumps sort of sits. 
Okay. All right. Well, cool. Uh, so yeah, that, that's an interesting place to start. And in fact, it, it reminds me, since you said that's also your number 10, uh, I realized as soon as we started that, um, I actually meant to ask a broader question before we got into our list and honorable mentions. And that is how you formed your list in the first place. Like, did you go to your favorite shows and then just pick the favorite episode from each of those shows? Or did you just have particular episodes that just came to mind or did you have to look things up on the internet? Like how, how did you form your list? Well, so, so my philosophy on this was to pick the shows that I felt were important to me and I could like expound flowery language upon them. You know, like what, what I did was I picked my top five and then painstakingly decided who got number one. And then underneath, I just picked the shows that were not in the top five, but deserved a mention. Yeah. And the way I picked my list was I, I'm a big enough TV nut that I definitely remember episodes and could pick out certain episodes. And like, as soon as this list was rolled, I was like, I know some episodes are definitely going to go on my list. At the same time, if there's a show that I liked but maybe didn't love or it's been forever and maybe i haven't rewatched it i knew i would have similar trouble to dave in trying to zero in on exact episodes and for certain shows i just didn't even bother so for my list what i did was i picked my favorite 10 11 12 uh tv shows and then picked specific episodes from them because i knew it'd be easier to both remember them and rank them and stuff like that so uh so that's kind of how i formed my list. And then as far as premieres, I'll say that one that came to mind a, a little while ago was the series premiere of Lost. Because as much as I might be still a, a little bit ticked off about the way that show went, especially in the series finale, I got to admit that series premiere is majorly cinematic. It was basically produced and directed as a movie and it does suck you into the story, even though the story continues to go kind of wayward along the way. But uh, yeah, a, a great way to start a series. Uh, not officially one of my um, honorable mentions, but I'm sneaking it in since it's just you and me. Okay. The next topic is going to be time travel and alternate, dim excuse me, time travel and alternate dimensions. Do you have anything for this category? This is where I, I open this up to debate for, for you, Mr. Willard, the brains of the operation. <laughs> I don't know. Because <laughs> the, the only thing that I have for this particular category is The Simpsons Treehouse of Horror, Volume 6. Yes. Okay. Volume 6, where Homer invents a time machine out of the toaster. And then goes back in time and accidentally sits on a mosquito and changes the future and then has to, you know, it, it's a bad, it's a bad, you know, timeline. So he has to go back into dinosaur times and fix it, but that doesn't work. And he, he keeps doing it. it. It's pretty hilarious. Um, so he's, at one he's, point, he's, the entire house is made of squirrels and that took <laughs> okay. an artist three days to draw. Wow. Wow. Yeah, it's it's passed around the sim like that is the it, when you work on the Simpsons you get that as a Christmas card because the 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 artist that drew it took so long and it was it was such a key 
part of their experience on The Simpsons that it just became the standard uh, Christmas card for the crew. A house made out of squirrels. I might have to look that up online because I, I'm having trouble <laughs> visualizing that. And, yes. and it's funny you said he stepped on a mosquito. I guess that's supposed to be like the mosquito effect instead of the butterfly effect. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and, and and then one of them, he uh, sneezes and kills all the dinosaurs and that fixes everything in Homer's life. Like he, he's rich. He's got a good job. Patty and Selma are dead. And everything's working out for him. He sits down at the breakfast table and he's like, Marjorie, would you please pass me a donut? And Marge says, donut? What's donut? And he freaks out and he screams and runs back downstairs to go back in time and fix it again. And if he had just waited three more seconds, he would have seen that it rains donuts from the sky. (laughs) Rains donuts from the sky? Is there a particular reason that the... Donuts are falling from the sky? Uh, If it rained donuts from the sky, that pretty much just meant he could just stand outside and eat donuts. Like, uh, I don't, I don't know how, quite how the biology of all that would work. I don't know if the, like the plants evolved to absorb donuts as nutrients or, or what, but it rained donuts. And you know, that, that it was pretty much Homer's perfect life. And he freaked out because he, he, couldn't be patient enough to ask one more question. Like hmm. where okay. would it would have like, you know, why are there no donuts? Just, yeah. just one question. That's all he needed to ask. This is totally off topic, but, but when you said donuts fell out of the sky, for some reason I had uh, this memory of this one movie that I, I totally hated where part of the ending of that movie was frogs falling out of the sky. Oh, Oh gosh. <laughs> Mag- Spoiler redacted. If you want a hint what the movie is, it's a 1999 movie directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, starring Tom Cruise, and named after a flowering tree or shrub. They do that all the time, like raining frogs, right? Like um, the, the Rugrats Passover episode, right? There's a scene with Tommy and Chucky like dumping a bunch of frogs into the hole, into the top hole of the pyramid, so it rains down on Angelica. But then, like. All of these other frogs just rain down from the sky. It's pretty hilarious. Uh, okay, so any other time travel episodes or alternate dimension episodes? So for the time travel episode, I have to include the infamous Doctor Who uh, Don't Blink episode for the Weeping Angels. Oh, okay. The reason why I'm including this is not only because it's a very effective piece of horror, Mm-hmm. But also it spawned one of my favorite corners of the internet, which is the SCP Foundation. It, it is debated as to if the writer of the original uh, SCP-173 saw the episode of Doctor Who and then wrote the SCP as it was, or if you know it, it's just coincidence. But yeah. the, the correlation between the we- Weeping Angels and... Peanut, which is the nickname of uh, SCP-173, is unmistakable. And so without Don't Blink, I I don't know if I would have one of my favorite websites on the internet. Hmm. Okay. I think it it really is an amazing, like, it's one of the kind of doctorless episodes uh-huh. He's not really there helping the the protagonist of the episode. 
she's just kind of, she's got a video with the doctor on it explaining what the weeping angels do. And it's up to her to make it out of the, I think it's like an abandoned castle or church or something. Yeah. And she's got to make it out of there without the angels catching her. And if you don't know what the weeping angels are, let me, let me give Todd nightmares for the next three days. Well, I, I, I know what they are. I, I've oh. seen that episode. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm not a bunch of a Doctor Who fan, though. Well, no, I mean, I I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to talk about Doctor Who and I'm going to give Todd nightmares. Yeah, yeah. I know the angels move when you blink. I think, yeah, when you look away. And so you got to keep looking at them to keep them still. Yeah. Yeah. And so fun fact, later on in the series, the Weeping Angels come back and it's actually discovered that the the queen of the angels is actually the statue of liberty yeah yeah mm-hmm. and because there's always someone looking at the statue of liberty at any point during the day she cannot move i didn't like either one of those episodes <laughs> it started, oh, man, me, started no. me grump but like i said i'm not a doctor who fan and yeah i remember not liking either one of those just too scary or are you just like no i just I didn't like know. I, I i don't like the concept how is it that the capability of a creature to move depend on whether somebody's eyes are on them or not? You know, the person doing the looking knows whether they're seeing something or not, but how does a creature know it's being seen or not? And and why does their ability to move depend on that? It's just, it's one of those, it's one of those things that bugs me about Dr. Who is it's really more fantasy than science fiction, which is fine. I don't, I don't yeah. mind a fantasy show. It's just that Dr. Who gets qualified as a sci-fi show and tries to act like a sci-fi show when really some things about it are so convoluted that it kind of has to be fantasy. And I just don't like that kind of incongruence. So, I mean, no, that's fair. I th- I, I've always classified Dr. Who as like horror. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, and then it, it somehow in, in some episodes, some storylines, it gets very romancy, but yeah. it's mostly a horror show to me. Yeah. Doctor Who, uh, the Don't Blink episode rests at number eight on my list. Oh, so it was actually one of your top ten. Okay, I I wasn't sure if you were pulling that randomly or... Okay, all right. Let me move on with my examples and I'll try to zip through them because we're we're just getting started. (laughs) This is already going to be a long episode. Maybe this is going to be another two-parter, which we kind of predicted it it might be anyway. That was one of the concerns that that Dave had. (laughs) Greetings discerning listeners. This is Todd, the editor, cutting in hopefully briefly. And it might not be the only time. We'll have to wait and see. This ended up being a long episode, enough to split into two parts. And some of the times I described some of my favorite shows, I got a little long-winded, a little spoilery, or both. And that's true here with me describing my four time travel honorable mentions, which lasted about seven minutes. So I'm going to try now to give you the shorter versions. First up is the classic Star Trek The Next Generation episode, Yesterday's Enterprise. This is the one where our usual Enterprise-D crew encounter a temporal anomaly and out of it comes its predecessor ship, the Enterprise-C. And by leaving its own time at a key point in Federation and Klingon relations, it creates a future where a more militaristic Federation is in a losing war with Klingons. Guinan, the bartender with a sixth sense, can tell something is wrong. One character who's dead in the original timeline is now alive. 
and the captains of the two ships must decide if sending the Enterprise C back to its own time is in everyone's best interest. For a season three episode, the production quality is ahead of its time, and the excellent story makes this one of Next Gen's best episodes. My next three honorable mentions are all time loop episodes, and all very well done. First up is The Travelers Season 2 episode called 17 Minutes. Our usual team of time travelers are trying to complete an important mission in a remote location, but they keep getting ambushed and gunned down by enemy agents. Without our usual characters, there's no show, so the people from the future send back an additional traveler to help out the team. But something goes wrong. So they send back another, then another, and several others, one at a time, until they finally get it right. Next is the Dark Matter Season 3 episode, All the Time in the World. The character known as Three starts the episode already stuck in a time loop. But, not being a very articulate character, he has a terrible time convincing his shipmates that he's repeating the same day. This leads to some strange scenarios such as Three learning French, learning ship systems, and singing with the android while she plays ukulele. Eventually, a second character starts time looping, and by the end of the episode, one character travels years forward in time and is informed by another character of things that will happen in the future, things we probably would have seen in seasons four and five had the show not gotten canceled after season three. Lastly is a similar but probably more well-known time loop episode from Stargate SG-1 Season 4, It's Window of Opportunity. This is the one where our team is exploring an artifact on an alien world, they return home, and Colonel Jack O'Neill and Teal start time looping. They also have trouble convincing their team members that they're repeating the same day dozens of times. In the course of these repetitions, Jack and Teal learn an ancient language, become expert jugglers, and shoot golf balls for fun into an open wormhole. It's a wacky episode, but it has an unexpected serious moment at the end. The guy behind the time machine wants to use it to go back to a time because he lost his family and wants to see them alive again. He says, you can't understand my pain. And Jack yells out, hey, I lost my son. It's easy to forget that the backstory of the snarky and eccentric Jack O'Neill involves his young son finding Jack's gun and accidentally shooting himself. Jack is usually so funny, but he carries a lot of pain. That unexpectedly serious moment makes this a very well-rounded episode, and it's probably one of the most memorable episodes of the series. Okay, hopefully that was at least a couple minutes shorter. Back to the recording. Have you seen any of these episodes or, or have any comments or questions about any of them? No, I mean, I haven't seen um, any of those episodes in particular. I feel like... I've seen like I, I've seen it enough of Star of Stargate and uh, Next Generation to understand the the characters and everything, and those, those sound like great episodes. Yeah, the Dark Matter and Travelers episodes might be a little bit more obscure. I don't know if a lot of people have seen those, but the SG One and, and Next Gen episodes those are those are two of the classic episodes of those shows. So uh, hopefully, some of our audience uh, have heard of those and have enjoyed those too. I uh, think I'm confident someone will know. Yeah. So trying to keep things moving, let's go on to the next topic, which is thriller episodes. And these are episodes that are exciting or epic in some way. And I'm sure I could have some episodes for this category, but to be honest, I don't have any officially in my list. Uh, but I thought I'd throw it out there in case you have any. Okay. I have maybe two that fit this category. We have... 
my number two greatest episode of television ever, Game of Thrones, The Winds of Winter. That is the uh, season finale of season six. Mm-hmm. This is the payoff of a, a two seasons long arc with uh, Cersei and Marjorie, Tyrell, and the uh, the Sparrow and oh the seven yeah. Fa- yeah yeah yeah, and you get this great musical score piece for the setup of the trial of. Uh, Marjorie's brother, and you you have Cersei sitting in, in the Red Keep, or looking out at the the Septim, the and yeah, yeah. I, I don't I don't know if we want to get into spoilers or not. I don't know because sometimes I know we spoil things on, on these uh, discussions, and I've probably given some little spoilers along the way for for some of the episodes I was talking about. But that one, I don't know. I mean, that's kind of part of the reason you watch Game of Thrones is for those huge moments. So, yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that one shouldn't be spoiled if, if anybody doesn't yeah, know what yeah, no, no, And if they do know what they're talking about, then, uh, then yeah, they, they know how it's a big deal. And then the very end of that episode, something happens that you've been waiting the entirety of the show to happen. And mm. it's such a payoff. It's so good. Mm, it, yeah. it is what I consider the peak of the series. And I'm very sad that nothing could ever match that after that episode. Hmm. It's been so long. I'm not totally sure what you're talking about. Can you give me a non-spoilery hint? One particular character has never stepped on a boat the entire series. And they finally get on a boat. Oh, oh, oh yep, yep, yep. Okay. Yep, 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 yep. 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, I saw yeah. that. I saw and, that. And I, and I know what you're talking about, how it can't be top because you're like, oh, next season is going to be epic. And then it's not. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like, this is awesome. It's finally happening. Yeah. Somebody's like, going to oh, wreck shop. Yeah, yeah. Maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> it's D Day, boys. No, no. We're, we're going we're gonna to go talk in rooms again. Yeah, and so with thriller episodes, I probably have one or two of those, but they're either in other places in my list or other categories, or they're in the multi-episode category. But then um, I will say that, you know, I kind of have my issues with Game of Thrones in retrospect uh, because I didn't like the way the final season went, blah, blah. Uh, But I have to admit that, yes, it did have some thriller episodes along the way, including the one you mentioned. So that's a great choice. Another show that I have a little bit of resentment toward is Battlestar Galactica. Uh, again, didn't end that great. But there was an episode somewhere around season two or season three where, uh, again, I won't get too spoilery, but uh, there was a mission to try to liberate a group of people. And there were there uh, a major ship had to kind of sneak around other ships. And the way they did it was by jumping from space into the atmosphere. But this is a ship you can't fly in the atmosphere. So it was basically just dropping like an enormous rock. And then it releases its little fighter ships. And then the big ship jumps out of the atmosphere, which causes this kind of weird suction type uh, moment in in the atmosphere. And that was just a really cool moment. And there are other things that are going on in the episode that it would probably make that a thrill episode. But it's also not fresh in my mind. So it didn't officially make my list. But uh, yeah, I just thought I'd throw it out there. So, 
Uh, are you ready to move on to the next category? I think I have one more for this particular category. Okay. This will sit at my uh, number four spot. And it is Batman, the animated series, the episode Heart of Ice. Okay. It's the Mr. Freeze episode. It's the episode that explains Mr. Freeze, what he's doing, why he's doing it. So Mr. Freeze, for those that don't know, he has been trying to cure his wife of a very rare disease. It turns out that the disease can be almost halted through extreme cold. Mm-hmm. And uh, Victor Freeze has figured out a way to inject his wife with a compound with, with such coldness that it freezes her but keeps her alive. So he can work on and try to figure out how to cure her. As he's working on it, the, the desire to try and figure out a way to bring Nora back so that they can be together makes him delve deeper and deeper into this cold sort of state. Like he, he, he tests all of the cures he makes on himself and all of them make it so he can't, you know, exist in a non frozen space. Yeah. Of course, eventually Batman figures it out and stops him and puts him in Arkham, but it's a really beautiful ending where Batman shows up and he hands Mr. Freeze a globe with a ballerina dancer in it because Nora was a ballerina dancer and before she contracted the disease and assures him that he'll be safe. And Mr. Freeze, before he sends Batman away, says, thank you, Batman. And that's like the first bit of emotion you get out of the character in the whole episode. It was, you know, one of those mind blowing moments as a child where you see kind of character depth and, you know, villains having a purpose and understanding where things went wrong. And yeah, it's just a great episode. Rest in peace, Kevin Conroy. You're always going to be my Batman. Yeah, I know he is a lot of people's favorite Batman, even though he was, you know, just a voice. He did get to play a version of a on-screen Batman in that, not Elseworlds, but the, whatever they call the multiverse crossover episode of the Arrowverse on the CW. He got to play a Batman that wasn't exactly a great Batman, but still he did get to play a form of at least Bruce Wayne on, on screen at one point. But yeah, I know that just for his voice that, that he was a, a lot of people's favorites. And I did watch Batman, the anime series as a kid, Uh, I'm not sure I watched every single episode and it's been forever since I've seen it, but I also do have the vaguest of memories of watching the episode you're talking about. Even with just those vague memories, I think what I appreciate about it is that it is, it has a villain that is not just a two dimensional mustache twirling villain. There's actually some depth there and you kind of understand why he is the way he is. And like you said, there's actually a little bit of an agreement at the end between Mr. Freeze and Batman, you know, they might be enemies, but they kind of have a little bit of a truce at the end. And it's, so it's a nice human moment. So, uh, yeah. And that's why the, the Batman and Robin failed was that they, they put Schwarzenegger in as Mr. Freeze. Mm-hmm. They played it like the sixties Batman. Yeah. And everybody that was already like, like me and all the other guys that were into and girls that were into Batman, the animated series were like, this Mr. Freeze sucks. Like this isn't the Mr. Freeze that we know from the cartoon. Like, where's the pathos? Where's the, 
he's just he's up there cracking jokes, you know, and it, it, it yeah. was it it turned people off of that movie. Yeah, yeah it, it had un, unintended consequences, I should say. Yeah. Okay, so we probably need to move forward some. Uh, the next category is human condition, and I have human in quotes because it's not necessarily human. It could be how science fiction uses alien life forms or creatures or robots, androids, something like that through allegorical storytelling to give some kind of human condition type lesson. And this could be anything that involves, you know, social commentary or or something like that. So I actually have five entries for this. So if, if you think you might have some, we might need to to take turns. So I'm not just rambling forever on this. Sure. Uh, Sure. We can take, do you have, do you have one or two here? I, I have one or two. Yes. All right, let me actually start off here, and I'll, I'll give uh, two of mine, because I've got two Babylon 5s, two Deep Space Nines, and then an Alien Nation. So my two from Babylon 5, uh, the first one is Season 2, Episode 18, Confessions and Lamentations. And this is all about a uh, kind of minor race on Babylon 5, the Markab. They are experiencing a plague on the station and on their home world, their colony worlds, all over the place. They're experiencing a plague. It's taken them out and it's uh, spreading fear across the station uh, because nobody knows if it can jump species or not. But the Markab also attach some religious beliefs to this plague. They feel that only the unclean or the sinful will get the plague. And so they feel like if the better people, the holy people, will just kind of partition themselves off away from everybody else, Else, then they'll survive. It'll make things better. When, of course, scientifically, they're just they're making things worse on them on themselves. Uh, it's a very daring episode, and it was already a good enough episode on its own. In fact, I think at one time I might have counted this as my favorite episode of season two, and I'm not sure I would do that again. But it's definitely up there. However, this episode has much greater relevance after COVID. In fact, I listened to several Babylon 5 podcasts and a couple of them have reviewed this just recently and they couldn't talk about this episode without talking about COVID and some of the things we went through with COVID, not just the disease itself, but the vaccination for it, some of the religious beliefs that people had in real life for uh, the center around COVID. It, it just has so much more relevance. And so people couldn't talk on this podcast without actually getting into the social commentary about COVID that, that is associated with this episode. So it's almost like J. Michael Straczynski could kind of see into the future and, and see what would happen if, if we had a, a virus or a plague. And, and now we kind of know. The other Babylon 5 episode is season three, episode four, Passing Through Gethsemane. And at this point in the story, we've got some monks on some on the station. They're there to kind of do odd jobs to help out people on the station. Meanwhile, they are also exploring the different faces of God and kind of seeing if there are commonalities between human and alien religions. There's this new guy named Brother Edward, and he seems like a totally nice guy, but people seem to be harassing him and kind of terrorizing him, and he doesn't even know why. And I don't want to give away the twist as to why they're terrorizing him and what it all means, but part of the reason it's called Passing Through Gethsemane is there is a conversation that he has with Delenn and Lanier comparing human and Mimbari beliefs. And they kind of tell him what Mimbari beliefs are, are like. 
and they ask him. And he says that one biggest thing that is so important to him in his faith is the story of Jesus going to Gethsemane, going into the garden to pray. And that's when the soldiers come and get him. And he always wondered if he would have the courage to stay with Jesus in Gethsemane when the soldiers came to get him. And again, without being spoilery, by the end of the episode, Brother Edward gets the answer to his question. So, uh, so yeah, two really good standalone episodes of, of Babylon 5 that kind of explore the human condition. So I'll take a break and give you a turn. So I, I'll, I'll spread this out because I, I think I only have two that really, really fit in here. One of those is True Detectives uh, finale, Season 1 Finale, Form and Void. Now, True Detective is a show from HBO that is about two guys trying to solve one murder. And just all of the, 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 the this conspiratorial slash, <clears throat> is it a cult? Is it a monster? Is Matthew McConaughey's character seeing things that aren't really there? Or are they really there? And he's the only one that's seeing them. And then in Form and Void, it kind of pays everything off when they do catch this serial killer that's been hawing the swamps of Louisiana for decades now, covered up by, you know, senators and, and rich, a very rich family that he is descended from. Matthew McConaughey gets, gets this moment at the very end where, you know, he, he faces off with the killer and, and like in all good horror, the killer is almost superhuman and beats Matthew McConaughey to a pulp. And so he's dying in the hospital. And afterwards he gets this, this beautiful uh, monologue with Woody Harrelson. And he sits there and says, I died. I floated away. I felt the peace and like this just golden moment. You know, I could see heaven. I was close with my daughter. I felt the touch of God. And I got to tell you, it's so cold being back here. Oh, that was really interesting to see. So, like, because usually, you know, when the when a hero goes through something like this, and and they they do face death and they come back, there's there's more waiting for them. You know, it's hmm. it, it's kind of this you've conquered the dragon, you know, yeah, sort of ending. This was very much. I've seen that there's more and I've seen what's waiting for me. And, and now I'm back here and it's just so cold. And I thought, you know, that dude for as bleak as that may seem, I thought, I, I thought that was really great that because throughout the series, you, you learn that McConaughey's character kind of floating in and out of religion. Like he, he used to have faith. He used to actually, or uh, when he was in school, he was, in school, I believe for seminary and philosophy and everything like that. And then he ended up on the police force mm-hmm. and he lost his faith when his wife and daughter were both killed. Ooh. And so to see him kind of have that closure and gain a little bit of his faith back, but also still be grappling with what it means to be alive and, you know, where he needed to be in life, I think was just, an amazing stroke of genius. Okay. So, so we got a a near death experience commentary about the coldness of life in the physical realm and the horrors of being alone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And, and realizing that the faith that, you know, it's, it's worthwhile and it's there and it'll, 
it, it'll it'll win out in the end. Yeah. So okay. So that that's definitely got several topics there. Yeah. That that's a good one. All right. Uh, now now I'll pass the baton back to you. All right. So my next two are both from Star Trek: Deep Space Nine, season six. The first one, episode thirteen, "Far Beyond the Stars," and this is one where Captain Cisco has this weird hallucination. I think it's caused by the prophets, which are the wormhole aliens. And he has this very elaborate hallucination where he is Benny Russell in the the 1950s New York as a science fiction author. And he works at a company where uh, there are several other writers and they're played by various other cast members outside of their usual alien makeup. There's one or two women in there. And then, of course, uh, Cisco is black. And so uh, the outside world doesn't really know that they're either uh, women or, or, or black men or, or whatever. And so they kind of have to hide that. And this Benny Russell that Cisco um, is imagining himself to be has a hallucination himself about Benjamin Cisco. So it's kind of like a hallucination within a hallucination. And he, and Benny Russell starts to write this science fiction story about Captain Cisco of Deep Space Nine and, and fighting the Dominion. And he wants to sell the story, but then when it gets out that it's a black man writing it, then there's some discrimination involved. And, uh, you know, this is the the first Star Trek show to have a, a black actor as a lead. And so, of course, that was a big step. But this is one of those episodes that kind of really addresses race and racism head on. And it's handled really well. Uh, Avery Brooks, who plays Cisco, has this major acting moment uh, in the episode. I think he also directed the episode. And then, like I said, also some of the cast members who are usually playing aliens are outside of their alien makeup uh, and sometimes playing either comedic characters or uh, sometimes you've got the Cardassian and Dominion characters playing uh, corrupt cops. So it's it's kind of neat to see people play different roles and it's got a lot of good social commentary in it. The other episode is In the Pale Moonlight. That's episode 19. At this point in the story, the Dominion War is going really terrible for the Federation. It's getting to the point where they're desperate. So desperate that Cisco feels like the only way they even have a chance of surviving is to try to get the Romulans involved. And the Romulans don't want to be involved in Dominion War. So in a way, he almost has to find a trickery way of bringing them in. He kind of has to falsify something. And so he works with Garrick, the uh, Cardassian tailor who was on the station. But Garrick also is suspected to have a past as a spy uh, amongst his own people. So Cisco and Garrick try to do these things where they're kind of compromising their principles, or at least Cisco is. It's kind of questionable what uh, Garrick's principles are in the first place to try to trick the Romans into the war. And I won't get spoilers as to say whether it works or not. And if so, how well or how not well, but the whole point of the episode is in war, will you sacrifice some of your principles and how far will you go? And the big question at the end of the episode is, can you live with it? And in a way we kind of get the answer as to whether Cisco can live with it, but maybe not. Maybe the answer isn't super clear at the end of the episode. So, uh, so yeah, I, I feel like a lot of good human condition type stories going on in those two episodes. So I'll pass the baton one more time before my final one for this category. Listeners, this is where we get to, what I consider to be the greatest episode of television that has ever existed. Oh, wow. So we're skipping to your number one? Yes. Okay. 
Um, the number one episode, in my opinion, for television is the Twilight Zone episode, The Obsolete Man. Hmm, okay. I'm not sure what so, that is. <laughs> the Twilight Zone, I feel like everyone understands. It's a, you know, anthology series, single episode movies, basically. In this one, it's a futuristic totalitarian state and a librarian is being put on trial for being obsolete. Okay. And he has been ruled by government to be obsolete. No one needs books anymore. No one needs to to read. You know, the, the state will tell you everything you need to know. The state will give you, you know, whatever information they need to give you to entertain you or inform you or whatever. And the whole episode is basically the librarian who's played by Burgess Meredith uh, says, fine, you know, you can execute me. That's fine. All I request is that you chancellor, you sit in the room with me. So the chancellor goes to the room, which is being monitored, which is on, you know, it's on television. These are like public executions. Hmm. And so the chancellor sits in the room and the librarian locks the door and it, Burgess gets to choose his, his own method of execution. So there's a bomb in the room that's going to go off at midnight. Hmm. And because it's televised, it, it's him and the chancellor and the chancellor's trying to maintain this tough, you know, bravery or whatever. And they have a really in-depth conversation, but the librarian's just sitting there and he's reading the Bible and he's like, I'm at peace with death. I know I'm dying tonight. I know that there's something waiting for me. And I know that the state, you know, being this atheist state does not believe anything's waiting for me. So you are the one that's completely living in fear. Like I was living in fear under this government. You finally understand what it was like to be me. And the chancellor, who's like this big, important leader, five minutes before midnight just breaks down and begs to be let go. And he says, in the name of God, please let me go. And Burgess Meredith says, yes, in the name of God, I will let you out. And Burgess unlocks the door. The chancellor runs and dives behind the staircase. The bomb goes off and the librarian's dead. But then something happens. As he gets up and there are police there waiting for him. And they say, sir, you must now go stand trial. You have been declared obsolete. Okay. He is uh, at the end of the episode. The chancellor is beaten to death by his own. And Sterling ends the episode with these lines. The chancellor, the late chancellor, was only partially correct. He was obsolete. But so is the state. The entity he worshipped, any state, any entity, any ideology, which fails to recognize the worth, the dignity, the rights of man, that state is obsolete. A case to be filed under M for mankind in the Twilight Zone. Wow. Okay. So I'm trying to figure out if that is... (laughs) Oh, hey, how's it going? (laughs) How's it going? (laughs) 
I thought I'd make my appearance. (laughs) (laughs) That was awesome. That's a great episode. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm trying to figure out whether that's one I'm vaguely familiar with. I I don't think I've ever seen the episode all the way through, but I know that there's an an iconic scene from Twilight Zone where a character is wearing really thick glasses and he's surrounded by books. And so I assume he might be a librarian, but I think there's something wrong. Like either his glasses break and he can't see the books. Or, so, and I thought that was Burgess Meredith. And so I thought that, that, is, might that, be- that was Burgess. Burgess was this, he played, I think in, in that one and this one. Okay. So it's not the same episode then. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, no, okay. the one you're thinking about is uh, the last man alive. Everyone else is gone. It's it's just Burgess Meredith, his glasses, and all of the books he could ever want to read, and then he breaks his glasses. Don't. No. Okay. Yeah, uh, and you kept mentioning like librarian and Burgess Meredith, and I thought, okay, that's probably that that one scene. But then nothing else you described seemed to match it. So uh, so yeah. Uh, so I guess he just got cast in two episodes. Yeah, he did. Uh, okay. All right. I believe he and Rod were friends. Yeah, but what what you described, I mean, it, it definitely sounds pretty heavy. I, I think I might have to see it for myself to to totally catch everything about it. But uh, yeah, it sounds interesting. In my opinion, it's the peak of television, you know. But I I'm one of those Twilight Zone guys who are just like the Twilight Zone is perfect television to me. Yeah. And so you know, it's just stunning, really. It was very deep, especially for its time. You oh know, yeah, the the you could watch the episodes and kind of get entertainment out of it, but the stuff that they were pulling off sci-fi wise was very deep, hard hitting stuff, not just very you know on the surface kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, it made for oh, good yeah. television. And like w- without the Twilight Zone, I don't think you get Star Trek. I don't think no. You get all of all the great shows that we've kind of built a culture around. The Twilight Zone and I Love Lucy are the mom and dad of all great television nowadays, in my opinion. Uh, well, just to keep things moving, let me try to squeeze in my last one for this category. And it's probably not as intellectual as, as your uh, example, but I wanted to pick something from Alien Nation. The problem is, as a, as a show overall, that it is a little bit dated, a little bit low budget. And I was thinking about choosing the series premiere uh, because there is a great scene where this guy who uh, a cop who is sometimes a little bit of a bigot himself defends a Tinktonese girl who is uh, going to a human school for the first time and it's a great scene the problem is that there's a lot of other things in the episode that aren't that great like there's something that happens near the end that is edited kind of weird and there there's some other moments that are not that great anyway instead from alien nation i picked the first of the five tv movies that aired after the the single season got canceled and that is dark horizon this is a continuation of the series cliffhanger where a couple of members of the Fra- uh, Francisco family, they are Tanktonese or newcomers, uh, are kind of poisoned. And uh, so we we pick up where we left off and they're in the hospital and hang on for their lives and everything. And at the same time, uh, these Tanktonese that are on Earth used to be slaves and their slave ship crashed. And somewhere along the way, somebody sends out a signal into space. Well, in this TV movie, another slave ship out there picks up the signal, and so they start moving toward Earth, and they send out a single scout to see what's up. 
So the scout gets to Earth. He kind of pretends to be a tank who's already here. He tries to figure out what's going on. He actually interacts with the uh, with the Francisco family. Uh, he kind of forms a little bit of attachment with uh, some of them. Uh, also, the Kathy Frankel character, who is another tank And so at some point, you know, he, he has to go back to his ship. Uh, to kind of either deliver the news or not deliver the news that, yes, there are slaves that are on Earth to be picked up. And I don't want to give away what happens, but this whole series is all about race and racism. You know, even the title Alien Nation is two separate words, but if you say it fast enough, it's alienation, like the act of, of being prejudiced. So this is an episode all about the continuation of slavery or ending slavery and whether this one scout is going to be their doom or if he's going to turn or turn things around. So, uh, so yeah, I, I wanted to fit this uh, TV movie into the human condition category. Any chance either of you have, have seen that TV movie? I have not, but I, I should look it up. Dave, how about you? It has been a very, very long time. I've seen all the Alien Nation movies. Um, I very much was a fan of the show. Um, I don't know that I've seen every episode because it was one that, you know, I just haven't kind of gone back and been watch, binge watched since. And I'm not even sure if it's streaming anywhere, but I definitely enjoyed the alienation and all the uh the tv movies that came with it they were fantastic and i wish they would reboot that show in fact i think at one time they were going to but then it kind of morphed into what became defiance which was Mm. good in some ways bad in some ways and lasted three seasons so moving on to the next category is cool episodes and i admit i don't have anything for this episode so i'll just throw it out to you guys in case you do well i think all of my episodes are cool so, yeah, and just to clarify, this is the type of thing where maybe it's not deep, like some of the episodes that we've just described, or maybe action packed or funny, but they're just cool. There's just stuff in them that happens is like, oh, that was neat. Then you're getting my number six, which is Abe Simpson and his grumbling grandson in The Curse of the Flying Hellfish. <laughs> okay, <laughs> there's a lot going on there. Yes, it it is a Simpsons episode about Grandpa Simpson and Bart. And Bart learns about Grandpa Simpson's time in World War II and the fact that he and Mr. Burns were in the same unit, that they once captured a Nazi castle. And with the rest of the parents of Springfield, he, uh, Grandpa Simpson and Mr. Burns stole a bunch of artwork from the Nazis and brought it back to America. They're, they're part of a tontine. A tontine, for those that don't know, is a um, agreement that whoever survives life the longest eventually gets whatever everyone's splitting up. Usually people do it with like really nice bottles of whiskey or something that you can enjoy amongst friends and it won't be like a financial boon for you to have it. But this was literally a multi-million dollar art treasure that they buried at the bottom of the Springfield Lake. And you could only see it once all the keys were assembled and cut on and a light shines from the tomb of the hellfish onto the spot in the lake. But of course, Mr. Burns being Mr. Burns, he decides to try and kill Grandpa Simpson to get his key. (laughs) And so... 
he hires an assassin, but the assassin is not very good. <laughs> so like they poison Abe's dentures and set off his alarm clock, but Abe throws the dentures against the wall and puts the alarm clock in his mouth. <laughs> and then okay. they dress up as the Simpson family and try to go inside the the nursing home and <laughs> throw a knife at Abe, but Abe ducks it. And then um, finally, the last joke with the assassin is, there's only one more way to kill a man, but it's as intricate and precise as a game of chess. And the very next scene is he just kicks the door open of the nursing home and fires a machine gun wildly into the waiting room. So, yeah, it's uh, Abe Simpson and his grumbling grandson and the curse of the flying hellfish season. Yeah, there's definitely a lot going on there, but that that does sound like a cool episode. So, yeah, I'd, I'd say it falls into this category. And you know, I, I'm not an avid watcher of The Simpsons like you are. I think I did watch it a long time ago. Uh, but you mentioned Grandpa uh, Simpson. There's one great moment. I don't even remember the setup for it, which episode it happened in, what. I just remember that for some reason the town is assembled and somebody is confessing something and somebody for some reason feels like it's good to confess things. So each town member is confessing one thing that they did in their life that either they regret or this embarrassing or a secret or something like that. And grandpa Simmons just said, I'm the one that canceled star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, I, and obviously I, I can't like do the grandpa Flanders episode. What was that? I think it was a Flanders episode. Okay. There, there's like an episode where Homer kind of takes over or gets all the credit for good things Ned is doing. And then Ned in, ends up getting into some sort of trouble. And uh, yeah, then everyone's all judging Ned. And he's Homer stands up there and says, who amongst you have not done anything that you would not consider shameful? And that's when that happens. Okay. All right. All right. Well, trying to keep things moving because Dave, your, your prediction came true. We're over an hour and we're, we're, oh, yeah. may, we're maybe two thirds of the way through, I think. Uh, so I also gave the guys the, the flexibility to just take an entire show and make that a category. So, you know, I've got some, a Babylon five category. So did you guys uh, for either your honorable mentions or list or anything like pick a show where you've got multiple entries? or anything if not then i'll do my babylon five and then we can move on well you see in 1989 there was a show called the simpsons <laughs> <laughs> yeah i get the feeling you could probably pick a lot of simpsons episodes oh yeah no like okay so the majority of millennial humor is like either you know doomer observations or quotes we stole from the simpsons simpsons did it simpsons did it Man. I could literally start my own Simpsons podcast <laughs> and, and and just just go through and like talk to the internet for like 30 minutes about every episode of the Simpsons. Well, maybe we need to do that because there are some podcasts out there that specialize in either every member being a newbie or half the cast being newbies. Like some people have been experienced with something, the others are experiencing it for the first time. So like you could pick Simpsons episodes that you're an expert in, and maybe I haven't watched them before, and then maybe we could, you know, analyze yeah. episodes that way. There you go. Uh, I, I, I can totally um, force feed you Simpsons episodes like Homer in Hell where he's 
being force fed all the donuts in the world. <laughs> oh, so I will definitely ahead. say that if I have a, a favorite show and it has multiple episodes, I, I won't pick out any particular ones, but uh, was definitely fringe. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a huge fringe nut. I, I recommend everybody who has not go back and watch from episode one, just watch them through and watch all of fringe and you get just, you know, wonderful quotes from Walter and Walter Nitt feeding off of that Twilight Zone motif. Uh, Fringe to me was the, the modern day kind of not necessarily attempt, at, at, but it, it was definitely a child of the Twilight Zone yeah. as they were bringing in these strange things that were going on and fringe science and, and how to explain them and how it all kind of came about. Anybody out there watch Fringe, watch all of it. And I think it's actually on multiple channels now. I think you can watch it in a couple of different places like Pluto and Tubi, things like that. So go back and watch those. I like the show, not as much as you. So I don't know if I would do a rewatch, but maybe I should at least try season one because I I didn't watch all of season one the first time around. I kind of picked it up in season two and, and took it from there. Yeah, the wife and I, I was afraid that it wouldn't live up if I did a rewatch. And about a year ago, we went, Leanne and I started rewatching every episode and we went all the way through straight through again. And it was amazing how many things we had kind of forgotten and some of the things that we remembered, but didn't remember almost like in the right order because a whole lot happens. I mean, it's a very intricate plot that happens over the timeline of this story you know kind of going back to the previous category i don't remember the, the number of the episode i'm sure i can probably look it up real quick but cool episode um i think it was the season finale of, of season one and we have the big reveal that this other scientist that you know walter had been working with in the past was played by leonard nimoy and we get his appearance and and it was just one of those like awesome moments because it just came out of nowhere. And when you met his character, you're going, Oh, that is so iconic that they picked this iconic yeah. actor to play this role. And it was kind of a bit part. I mean, he really, you know, made a few appearances here or there throughout the, the, the story, but he was definitely a, a secondary character. Um, but to have Leonard Nimoy playing it, it was just, it was just phenomenal go out there and watch every episode and and it does hold up when we watched it the second time i actually enjoyed it just as much if not more than the first time and even some of the things that i knew happened that i'm like oh this is yeah i'm waiting for it to happen it still got me and the you know there were times when i still kind of had tears in my eyes when when some of the the big emotional parts hit. Yeah. To me, that show was at its coolest when it started delving into the alternate dimensions. And that was actually our second category of, of honorable mentions. And so Dave, even when you weren't here, I mentioned that about fringe, just kind of like a general statement that that was a show that was very good about alternate dimensions. There's like more than just one episode about that. And, uh, and you mentioned that as being one of your favorite shows. So definitely appreciate it. Yeah. So let me try to do my three Babylon 5 episodes that don't really fall into other categories and, and try to make them quick so we can move on. I picked Babylon 5 Season 1, Episode 9, Deathwalker. Uh, 
And this is an episode, I'll, I'll try to explain as quickly as possible. So in the backstory of Babylon 5, the League of Nine Aligned War- Worlds was at war with the Dilgar. Earth Alliance stepped in, helped them out, kind of kicked the Dilgar's butt. Also, around that time, the Dilgar's son went supernova, and so it wiped them all out. But then on the station comes the supposedly last surviving member of the Dilgar that they didn't even know survived. And it turns out it is War Master Jadur. And to make things really short, she's basically a space Nazi. Uh, she did a lot of biological experiments during the war, and she claims to have an anti-agapic vaccine or whatever that will help people like live forever. It's basically like the fountain of youth. And uh, there are several races on the station that want to put her on trial, want to have her executed or, or sent back to their home world for jurisdiction or whatever. There are some people who actually want her anti-agapic thing, and so they don't want her to be killed. They actually would rather get her information on this anti-aging thing. So there are all kinds of like competing interests. There's a lot of moral dilemmas that are that are expressed in in this episode and you know i mentioned earlier how uh, preston when you brought up mr freeze from that one batman episode uh, where he kind of had some depth well this is an episode where the villain is just dripping with evil she's just evil for the sake of being evil but it's done so well i'm actually okay with it and at the very end of the episode she delivers yet another moral dilemma to the characters. And it's so bad that one character just says, get the hell off my station. And it is just such a cool episode. It's my favorite episode of season one. Another episode is season four, episode 15, No Surrender, No Retreat. This is a point in the story where the Earth Civil War is kind of heating up. Uh, The corrupt President Clark is trying to kind of put a a stroke, uh, a stranglehold on the colonies. And Captain Sheridan at Babylon 5 decides to use his forces to try to liberate the colonies, starting with Proxima 3. So this is a really cool battle episode, but there's also a lot of really good strategy in it because there are several ships defending Proxima 3, but some of them have drunk the Kool-Aid with President Clark. Some of them are kind of sort of following orders, but they realize that their orders aren't totally legal. So it's kind of questionable whether they're going to cross the line and actually be combatants or not. And then there are some that are like, yeah, we'll sit here, but if things heat up, we're going to leave. So Sheridan doesn't just go in guns blazing. He actually has to figure out, okay, who's who might be on our side, who might just want to retreat and who is going to fight against us. So there's a lot of really cool strategy in that episode. But on top of all that, I keep forgetting that that's one of the episodes that has some of the best Londo and Jakar scenes. Uh, this is also a point where Jakar is still resenting the things that Londo's people did to Jakar's people. Uh, and Londo is trying to score some redemption points. So he actually goes to Jakar with an offer to try to help somebody out. Uh, Jakar doesn't know whether he should give in and do the right thing or whether he should stick to his grudge. And so there, there's just this great series of scenes between Londo and Jakar in this episode. And they're two of my favorite characters. So this episode is great for multiple reasons. Uh, then the last in this general Babylon 5 category, I have to admit the episode title itself is a little bit of a spoiler, but it's season five, episode 18, The Fall of Centauri Prime. And I won't go into the details, but you can tell by the title, things don't go well for Centauri Prime in this episode. 
But the important part is that this is kind of the culmination of the Jakar and Londo relationship. Uh, you know, are they still enemies? Are they friends somewhere in between? This is kind of, I think, the last time that we see them on screen together. So it's kind of the culmination of that. And we also get the fate of Londo. Uh, does he get his redemption moment? Is he cursed? Is it kind of a combination between the two? Uh, but we kind of see that some of the things that he has done that aren't good kind of catch up with them in a way. So this is a, a major episode that, like I said, didn't really fit anywhere else. So those are my general Babylon 5 episodes. Dave, I know you have seen some of Babylon 5, not all of it, but you and I have definitely reviewed together Death Walker. So yeah. do you have any opinions about those three episodes I mentioned? I definitely remember Death Walker, and that was a good episode. That was very interesting how they they brought in this character and, and the moral dilemma that it all played out as far as, you know, how far will you go for a good thing like something like ending diseases and, and kind of an internal life how how much would you sacrifice your morals to be able to get there yeah and, and i thought that was that was great um the other ones we haven't got there in our in our walkthrough no, we're, been time. We're, we're getting there we're get there <laughs> we haven't um, done an episode in months <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, folks, we may be behind, but if you haven't caught it, we do have a, a podcast called uh, The Discerning Lurker's Portal, a Babylon 5 podcast. And we're almost done with season one, but we've kind of gotten behind. What? Yeah. Listen to the ones we have yeah. out already. And that way, when we produce some more, you'll be all caught up. Yeah. Because yeah. we're just Fans, going episode. I, I do want to reiterate that every time we, I go away or can't make it, I urge these two. Work on that podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it has been a crazy summer, so it's been tough to to do a whole lot of recording. But yeah, no, but it is great. It uh, um, the, the overarching stories. It's one of the reasons I agreed to do the podcast with Todd um, because I kind of know bits and pieces, and I know enough to to have and have experienced some really great episodes and and episodes that we've done. I'm, I'm trying to go episode by episode so it's it's a great way to to experience it uh okay so moving forward to our last uh category in honorable mentions that is finales uh i've got three for this i think i can zip through them because two of them are actually explained in more detail in an episode we did i think two years ago on series finales uh but do you guys have anything about season finales or series finales I think I do have some season finales. But is it one of your top five? It is. If it is, you may want to save it because I was hoping we could kind of take turns with our top fives. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'll save those then. Okay. Uh, Preston, do you have anything? Hold on. Hold on. Just one second. Let me me check something. Well, if it might take you a minute to check on something, I can go ahead and get started with mine. Yeah, yeah. Um, go, go ahead, go ahead. So I've got the season one finale of Babylon 5. That's episode 22 of season one. It's Chrysalis. Uh, there's a big political shakeup back home. There's also a shakeup for the Babylon 5 crew. There's a threat of a new enemy coming, but it seems like only Jakar and Delenn seem to notice. And by the end of the episode, one character is saying nothing's the same anymore. And even though that seems like a simple statement, it's kind of there's some epic meaning behind it because things really are shaken up at the end of that uh, first season. Uh, 
I've also got the last episode of Babylon 5, Season 5, Episode 22, Sleeping in Light. This is the series finale. It was actually produced as the last episode of Season 4 because they didn't think they were getting Season 5, but then they did. TNT swooped in, gave them a Season 5. They held this back and did a new Season 4 finale, held this for the last episode of Season 5. And to this day, it's still my favorite series finale. I think it does the best job of doing a flash forward into the future to show the the future of the characters, how they've grown, and most importantly, what the entire series was for. You know, a lot of series, they want to save like some big battle or something for the final episode, and then they don't leave enough time to get nostalgic and to say goodbye. And Babylon 5, J. Michael Straczynski chose to make the entire final episode of Babylon 5 all about saying goodbye. Uh, in fact, I've mentioned on a podcast recently that I did a full Grimm rewatch. And w- the series finale for it was good in some ways, but it was still too much a, a save epic fight scenes for the final episode. And it was too much of a season finale instead of a series finale. And it didn't do quite enough uh, nostalgia stuff, bookending, emotional stuff. It did do a little bit of a flash forward, but it's only like a minute and a half instead of the entire episode. And so I wish more series would do it like Babylon 5 did it. And then my last one here is Stargate Universe Season 2, Episode 20, Gauntlet. It is a Season 2 finale, but they got canceled after that, so it ended up being their series finale kind of by accident. It's one of those episodes where... It it almost feels like the makers saw that they might be getting canceled because they did this great thing where there was a threat to the ship. They knew that they had to get around this threat. They couldn't deal with it directly. They had to get around it. And it kind of, uh, without being too spoilery, it, it kind of involved putting characters aside, so to speak, like putting them on the sidelines. And so you do this, it did this thing where it kind of focused on these group of side characters and gave them a moment before they were kind of put aside. And then we get our main characters. They kind of have a final meal before some of them are kind of put aside. And then we get down to where our main three characters who are my favorite characters from this show. And then something happens where a couple of them are put aside, but we still have one character who's left for the final moment. And he's left to try to figure out a problem. And he just gets this look on his face, a kind of a smile, like he's figured it out. And then the story just ends with the ship just kind of going off into the distance uh, in faster than light travel. And it's it's kind of a cliffhanger and a, a very much an unresolved story. And at the same time, it's so beautiful and so elegantly done that I just don't care. It's I think it's a great series finale. So that's it for me. So Preston, did you think about the episode that you're trying to remember? Yes. It is it is a season finale, um, but it is the tale of the night shift. And the show is Are You Afraid of the Dark? Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, Are You Afraid of the Dark was a Nickelodeon show on their Saturday night block called SNCC. Uh, SNCC was kind of like the cool television block in the 90s that all the kids watched to try and be older. So, like, th- this probably came out when I was, like, in fifth or fourth grade, somewhere in there. The Tale of the Night Shift is, is a basic vampire story set in a hospital, but the vampire can shapeshift, so you're never quite sure what character is the vampire until, like, hmm. the big reveal at the end of the episode. I like shapeshifting. The, the vampire is really well designed to be terrifying, and, and 
very old, very green, and, and, and you know, teeth are very sharp and yellow. And uh, yeah, it, it's an over, it's a very well done uh, story. It was set up as the series finale, but you know, they, they renewed it for two more seasons. Oh, okay. Very good. So yeah, it's a great show and probably one of the uh, longest lasting impacts of Are You Afraid of the Dark is just, Are You Afraid of the Dark was an, another spooky kid show, but it was around before Goosebumps. So to a lot of people, the Are You Afraid of the Darks or, or uh, kids horror are called Are You Afraid of the Darks? Okay. But it's, it's a good episode, good show. If you if you want just a, a nice little vampire mystery to watch and, and, and nothing too serious, nothing too bloody or anything. Because again, it's a kid show. I'm intrigued by the shape-shifting part. <laughs> I always like shape-shifting. It's a well-done um, plot device that is used very well. You can find it on the uh, South American version of, or well, excuse me, to use the Simpsons joke, the non-union Mexican equivalent of YouTube that is Daily Motion. It was on there. <laughs> but you can you can go see it, or you can give Paramount ten bucks and watch it if you want to. I don't know why you would, but if you want to, yeah. Paramount ten dollars. Maybe they'll make something good eventually again. We don't yeah, know. Nice. That completes our honorable mention categories before we get in the top fives. But Preston, you had a top ten. Did you get your ten through six already, or were there some still left on the table? I already, I already did it. Yeah, you're good. You're good. Should be good. Okay. Now, of course, we fully have our, our robot assistant rip me a new one if I forgot one. Totally. Wait, what? I was totally multitasking. Was I supposed to be paying attention to this podcast? Okay, so so you sure we we got ten through six then? I'm I'm positive. Okay, so we can go into our top fives, and now that there are three of us here, should we roll for initiative or or not be that nitpicky and just? Sure. Oh, okay, sure. Stay tuned for part two of favorite single episode TV stories when the geeks dive into their respective top five lists. Yeah, we know this isn't the most thrilling cliffhanger ever, but this is a little past the halfway point of the recording, and they've got to split this up somewhere. Maybe someday the geeks will actually ask for my opinion on one of these lists. For this topic, I could have come up with at least half a dozen honorable mentions from Xena Warrior Princess. This is such a boys club. Did I already say to stay tuned for part two, coming soon? Whatever. <laughs>